there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome back to another show. So this one I recorded a number of weeks back. It's with a lady called Kathy Walsh. So Kathy is a, a dancer, a choreographer, a freelance artist and a performer. She is originally from Cork, uh, but is now based in Berlin, where she is working on a regular basis, performing and working on new material. During the conversation, we talk about how Kathy got into theatre and dancing growing up. She attended theatre degree in UCC, and during university it was there, she really found her passion was in dance. We dig into how this came about, and also talk a little bit about the components involved in creating a piece of work around dance. I'm coming to this with certainly a, a beginner's mindset, not knowing a whole lot about the area. So hopefully I was able to unearth some of the typical questions uh, people in the similar boat to me might have asked. So Cathy talks about her learnings that she's taken away from many of her experiences during her career so far. She's worked in a dancing festival in uh, the Wexford Opera House. She also worked at Dagda Dance School in Limerick for over a year. And we go into details about both of those things she took away from that. She also now is working in Berlin in the Ponderosa Movement and Discovery Organization. And she talks about how much that has helped her develop her her art over the last the last few years. As always in the podcast, I look to find out what makes the person tick, what success means to them, what their values, their goals and inspirations are. So we definitely touch on a lot of that. Uh, I asked Cathy about advice that she can share on her journey so far, some key moments, turning points that she faced that allowed her to make that next leap forward. We discuss the benefits of feedback and, and how how best to get that. Cathy is a big proponent of feedback. We talk about how she constructs a piece of work, the challenges she faced with deadlines, facing the fear and, and moving beyond it. We even touch on the role virtual reality could play in the future of of dance and, and I suppose attending performances of dance, which, which Cathy says there's nothing like the real thing, but maybe virtual reality might open up some more doors there. Cathy's currently working on a piece that focuses on time, and there's a lot of improvisation that ties into this. She explains, so as I said, I'm not that well-versed in this world, but it was certainly one of very much interest to me, and I'm hoping you get some really good, interesting takeaways from it as well. Cathy is currently planning to be back in Cork uh, around the 19th of June. She's involved in the Midsummer Festival taking place in June, and she is taking part in the Body Activities Conference and conducting a workshop on June 19th at 9.30am in and around UCC. So I have a link to the details of that in the show notes. So if you're curious about embodied practices, as uh, as Cathy outlined, you can register at that link and, and attend the workshop. So yeah, that's pretty much it. It's a, hopefully a good tee up to a very interesting conversation that Cathy and I had been planning to do for a while, and I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks and have a great day. I am here this evening over Skype and video Skype. Uh, that's another first for the show with Kathy Walsh. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Don't be shy. Um, okay. So I met, uh, just a bit of background, I think it was around Christmas time that I met with Kathy just randomly in a, 
a bar slash nightclub in Cork in in a in a very innocent sense. Just let me add, just in case people you know think of different things going on there. But uh, I don't know how we started talking about podcasts. I think I was telling everybody about a podcast that I was about to start producing and recording, which hadn't even a name at the time. And uh, I think we got talking about that. You were certainly very keen to to promote females on the podcast. I remember that stuck out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you being a female, I said, well, why don't you come on to the podcast? And you agreed. And uh, I think we probably missed uh, missed the opportunity about five times at this stage. So this is probably six time lucky. Yeah, exactly. Sound about right? Yeah, like Robert the Bruce. Sometimes if you just keep failing, you have to just try again. Exactly. Success is 90, 99% failure. I think that's one of the, the lines I've heard in the past. So, Caddy, give yourself an introduction. I know you're a dancer. I know you're a choreographer. Um, That's just a couple of things. There's other things here, but I think you'd uh, be better explaining uh, yourself to the to the world. Yeah, I'm um, mostly, most importantly, from Cork. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm a dancer, choreographer, um, theatre maker, and dabble in some lighting design and teaching and other bits and bobs as well. I'm living in Berlin the last six years, kind of based here, but um, mostly I travel for work. And I get back to Cork maybe three or four times a year, to visit and to work as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So out of all of those, which one stands out the most? Which would you consider yourself, if uh, you could only be one of those things, what would it be? A Corkonian. A Corkonian. <laughs> Definitely. Just, yeah. And yeah. a conversationalist. I think uh, mainly it's it's about like communicating with people and telling stories. So if I couldn't do anything else, if I could just like, hang out with people and tell stories and hear stories then mm. i think that would be that would be me happy very good well you're in the right place to tell a story uh, yeah. on the podcast so you're putting yourself to to the sword here hopefully it'll all go well no i'm sure it will um mm. so talk to me about growing up how you got into dancing how you became i suppose a combination of these traits where, where did it all begin um I think I was probably always somehow um, an active mover or into dancing or enjoyed like dancing to music. And I think it's kind of inherent in everybody in some ways. Um, But I wasn't much of a a committed dancer as as a young person. Like I joined a lot of Irish dancing? I did. I did Irish dance when I was probably five or five until I was six or until seven or something and I can still do a bit of that um and then when I was in Irish college of course there was uh Kayleigh's every night so and as an English teacher I continued to teach people Irish dance right um, but uh River so Dance never came calling around then no they haven't knocked on the door okay. but uh I like my ankles and so I think um if you want to keep them intact you know it's, it's okay. a tough one to to spend too much time with nice. but um right. I do think it's beautiful and it's amazing but I I managed to give that up pretty quickly um and uh when I was in secondary school I was doing a bit of contemporary dance classes um but I think one of the main influences or one of the moments was when I was in sixth class we had this dance teacher Trish 
And she told me and one other girl in the class that we should continue dancing mm. because we had rhythm. Right. And, and I think it was just one of those moments, you know, where someone tells you you're good at something mm. and you like latch onto it or choose to believe it or I appreciated someone saying that I had uh, a good sense of rhythm. Mm. And so then I, you know, kind of half, half-heartedly spent a bit of time in, in secondary school doing, you know, like a six-week course in dance or whatever. Um, but it wasn't until I was studying in university, I was studying theatre, mm. that it became really clear to me that it was like the physical theatre and the dance theatre stuff that was really giving me something or that I found really exciting. And mm. um, so then I decided to do it more of the time. Mm. So. so was there, you talk about influences and that's interesting where you said that that kind of one minute almost piece of advice or coaching and made you feel good and you latched onto it. I've read books, I've I've heard about other kind of scenarios where somebody I think they 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 were working or in college doing a home ec class and they had a chef in for the day and they said, Wow, you you're really good at that dish, whatever and it just stuck with them and it made them become what they you know, what they became a uh, you know, yeah. a very popular chef. So the little sections or just chance statements in life can sometimes stick. Was there, was there dancing in your family? Was there any kind of history of that at all that might have linked to it um, as well? My mom is a pretty avid dancer. Like she would have grown up doing lots of like jive dancing and going to dances and stuff. Mm. Uh, and so she loves dancing, like social dancing. Um, so definitely on one side of the family. My dad is not a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, I'm not great at partner dancing. So nice. if my mom trying to teach me how to jive in the kitchen or whatever, she's always laughing at me being like, I thought you were supposed to be a dancer. Mm. You know, like, why can't you do this? But uh, it's a different, different kind of vibe. But definitely that kind of love of, of rhythm and movement and music is shared. Mm. But um, we weren't much of a dancing family, mind you. Mm. But for you to have picked theater in college, um, it sounds like from an early enough age though then you were going down that kind of arts performance type route there was more to the theatre stuff than just dancing right so yeah yeah for sure um, which again is a bit of an anomaly in my family I mean there's an interest in in the arts in, in a certain way but um, not anybody else in, in my in either side of the family who was who was working or living as an artist um, and I think it was more from friendships. Like I was growing up with, um, there was a family, um, and my mom was friends with. And so, you know, every, every sibling in the family had like a, a was friends with one of the kids in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up with a girl called Ailish, Ailish Simmons, and we were best friends from ba- being babies, you know, and she was very active in theater. Um, from a really young age so was performing like from three four right. and I was always going to see her in plays in okay. the and the everyman and I think something about that just like really caught me like I loved this buzz mm. of, uh, of the theater and of performance and of people um, but I didn't didn't get involved in it then I remember my mom asking me if I wanted to join speech and drama and I kept saying yes like I'll I'll do it in September, or I'll start next year. Mm. Um, but I never did. I didn't do it when I was young at all. I think I was just, I liked being around it somehow, but was maybe a bit too shy or nervous or I don't know why I didn't start 
Mm. So I was going to actually ask that from a, you know, Myers-Briggs perspective, are you introverted or extroverted? And what would you have been like growing up? Was shyness, was, was, were there things holding you potentially back from going out and doing stuff like that? No, I wouldn't say I'm introverted. I'm definitely an extroverted personality and I love like socializing and mm. uh, being in groups of people. Um, but something about joining things, I think there's like some level of expectation or something that is often a bit of an impediment where it's just like, oh, what if I'm not good enough at that thing? Um, but then I had the opportunity in school, uh, we were asked to go and some, they needed some girls in the Deer Park Boys School because they have this big stage there okay. in the boys school. Um, and they put on plays every year for the things that are in the syllabus, you know, like for the junior leaving search syllabus, like the mm-hmm. plays and, and the novel. And so they needed some girls to go and join the play, the, the second or third year's play. And also it meant that we would get out of school and be able to like walk up to Deer Park nice. and play. And so that's how I got involved in performing like on stage, really, was when I was like 14. To show off and in front of the boys. Is that what you were trying to do there? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just admit but it. I, I stayed friends with like a lot of the people from that time, like a lot of the lads. And it was just really good crack. And I think that that's what like made me stay there. Mm. And I was like, this is fun. People do this as a job. Yeah. Follow that. Was that, was that your number one choice? Were your parents supportive of you going down this route? Was there any apprehension about what career will I have jobs wise? Did you put too much thought yeah. into any of that? When I was, Finishing school, I am like most people, and also like I've heard other people on the podcast say, like I didn't know what I was going to do when I was leaving school. But of course, like when you're seventeen or eighteen, like Mm. you don't really. I thought I was going to be a chef actually at that point, Um, and uh, because I really loved cooking. But then I started working in kitchens and realized that first of all, it wasn't very social, <laughs> mm. and second of all, it was just such hard work, and I didn't I didn't like how much I was just cleaning and away from people, and it was just exhausting. Right. But um, I, so I, I decided I was going to move away for a year um, and do a gap year because a friend of mine was going to do her Erasmus year in Italy, and at the time, I wasn't interested in putting anything on my CAO form. Right. My dad's like, just fill it out. I don't care what you put on it or what you want to do, or even if you want to go to university or not, but like go to some kind of education mm-hmm. thing. Um, and so I filled out the form and yeah, I, I was kind of picking things with a pin, you know, at some, for some options, but, um, there was drama and theater studies in Cork and there was film and television in Galway. Um, and I put those down because I thought that they would be good things to have um, if I wanted to go into PR, okay. which is one of the things I was thinking about at the time. Right. Um, and so it was somehow based on interest and somehow a bit of chance because I kind of thought I was going in another direction at mm-hmm. the time. Um, but yeah, I got the course and then I decided to do it. To go straight into it. Hmm. And uh, I know actually I'm, I'm originally from Longford. I don't know if you know that there was a, a girl from Longford that did the course. I don't know. I'm probably not too far from you, your time. Lorna Quinn. I don't know if you know the name Lorna Quinn. Yeah, I do. I yeah. do know Lorna. Yeah. yeah. So Lorna's lined up to be a guest on the show at a later point as well. Great. But um, 
I remember her at the time because I'm good friends with her brother and she was going to Cork to, to do to do that course, I guess, was it? Same one? She was the year ahead of me, maybe. All right. Okay. So um, that's how I remember that course. And she's gone on to, to do some good stuff. I think she's uh, she won an award this year. Um, but there's a link there. So that's that's funny. Um, so yeah. when you got into it, uh, was, like, was it? Was it a big pointer on the CEO or was it tough to get into? Um, I think it was, no, it was pretty middle of the road, I think. Okay. Uh, I don't remember being so concerned that I would or wouldn't get the points, mm. but I did anyway. I think my mom was more concerned because she thought I was terrible and that I wasn't studying at all, right. but, uh, but I survived you and I got in. it. You flew in. So it's, what was what was your impressions then? Like being from Cork, going to university in Cork, again, was that as big a life-changing experience then as you might have thought it would be, given that you knew the area and stuff? It definitely was a huge life-changing experience, but not because I was all of a sudden in university, you know? I mean, mm. uh, yeah, my parents were definitely like, go to college in Cork, so then you can live here. And mm. We don't have to pay rent somewhere else because we're not going to. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was the people that I met that was the huge change because I'd had very good friends growing up. Um, I went to school with lots of lovely people and there was really nice people who I was growing up with uh, in, in Douglas. But just within the first week of being in in UCC, it, it was stupid, but we were like doing the same quotes from movies and everyone was really like kind of friendly and touchy-feely and rambunctious and loud <laughs> drama students, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I just like, they were just so much fun to me, you know, and I just felt like, oh my God, I get these people on, on such a, mm. not on such a, level but just like so easily right. um, and a lot of us from that group have stayed like really like close friends like family mm. and I met my very best friends in the world who I continue to work with and live with and uh, and so in that way it was totally life-changing because I, I stayed you know following those people around basically mm. Mm. but it would have very quickly reaffirmed your decision to go into it based on yeah. the people in it in a way, like, as I said, I was kind of going into it because I thought, okay, I should have some kind of arts degree if I'm going to go into PR and that's like personable. So I'll, uh, it'll help me in, in some ways. But I found that the, the work that we were doing, like the, the reading and the performing and the technical aspects of it were just really interesting to me in a way that I hadn't uh, anticipated. And so, yeah, more than reaffirming it, it was newly affirming it, I suppose, hmm. that I was discovering this stuff, this world that I, because a lot of the people in the class had been doing youth drama right. and they were more used to the world and it was a bit more foreign to me. You know, I didn't know the names of these playwrights or these, these hmm. uh, people that we were covering. And so it was very fresh. It was very new information. What, what I'm kind of thinking of, like trying to parallel it to what I did in college, right, in IT, and it was a lot of hours don't think it was the right thing I, I did in the end but it was um it was hard work it was tough and i'm never you know you're i'm not a programmer I, we had to do a lot of it I, I did i ended up getting very friendly with the people that were doing it and then getting it off them but did you find it like tough work was it challenging to the point that you were getting frustrated or was it challenging that you really embraced it i'm just interested to to know how you 
dealt with what was coming at you? Well, in the drama course at the time, there wasn't a single honours. There is now, but then it was a joint honours. So I was doing drama and Italian and English in first year. Okay. And then you would drop one of the subjects in for, after first year. So I dropped right. English. So um, I had a lot of contact hours of Italian. We would probably have, with the languages, you generally have five more hours a week. Okay. Um, with like seminars and language practice and all that kind of stuff. So it was really challenging for me on that side of things. Mm. And then drama was also challenging because we had to do a lot of writing. It was more academic than it was practical. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I don't remember being really frustrated by it, but um, it was a lot of like new ways of thinking or writing about things and a lot of like criticism, you know, like, um, critiquing writing and critiquing performance and um, but no I, I didn't have I never really had the feeling of like oh this is just too hard for me I, I can't be here mm. it felt supportive I think in ways so you said new ways of thinking give me give me an example or maybe talk to me about one of those ways or things that came up around that I'm just very fascinated to always interested in thinking about things slightly differently or rather than just diving in you know, taking a step back and, I don't know, maybe getting in touch with your subconscious and letting things settle. Anything jump out in, in some of the the modules around that that you recall? Um, well, just in terms of, like, critique and ways of thinking, like critical or analytical writings and stuff like that, um, I think when you study anything, like whenever people study literature or film or photography or theatre or whatever it is, there's a history of that and there's a framing, you know? So uh, if you've never seen a play before, you go to see the play and you experience it the way you do. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. And, or, and opinion is, is formed based on what you see. And of course your life and the mood that you're in that day. Mm-hmm. But if you are, have been studying something you know, and you have like a, a certain kind of, um, criticism that's been developed, you're looking at it through a frame of, uh, and a context of what's gone before and like the canon of plays that that comes from, whether it's like Greek or whether it's Irish, whether it's like straight theater or if it's like an abstraction somehow, like how they've chosen to rework the text or, um, what kind of like gender politics or race politics or, um, or, you know, current day politics mm. are being supplied to it. And so um, just the complexity of how you read any one thing and the symbolism and the semiotics that go along with it, right. like that stuff was kind of new for me, I suppose. Mm. And so you can't kind of peel that off in a way. So after you've kind of learned to look at things through this critical view, then mm. that kind of stays with you forever, you know. Right. So gone are the days when you just go and kind of superficially watch a movie and instead you're going into the multiple onion layers to... Yeah, I mean, for me, of course, I can just watch a movie because I didn't study film so much. But like watching performance, like I have 
this like language and experience of watching things that just makes it different, sometimes better, sometimes worse. And I think both also at the same time, but it's the same if you, if you, uh, if you watch a movie with someone who's like a filmmaker, you know, yeah. like they can't help but see it differently or a musician listening to music, you know, they pick out different pleasures and disappointments in, in a piece, you know, mm. unavoidably. Mm. Cool. Mm. Interesting. So, um, what else stood out for this? Was it a four-year course? Was it a three-year course? Or it was three years, yeah. And when did the dance part start coming into it? Uh, in first year, we had to do a practical module, and it was two thousand and five that year. Capital of Culture. Oh, um, very good. And uh, a dance theater company called Half Angel um, were putting on this big performance in the in the quad in UCC called the White Quadrangle, and uh, they were using our drama class, basically, as one of the components, as one of the cast components. They also had some of the lecturers from the university. They had some old pe- older people from the Simon community and um, some other groups. But I think they had the idea of having more groups, mm-hmm. more people. Um, which of course is very difficult to manage. And then they ended up having more time or like using our group like as free labor <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. But um, but it was also our, our contact hours for college. Um, and that was, yeah, it was kind of a performance installation um, that had elements of dance in it. And me and another friend of mine in my class were these like kind of two central characters somehow um and had to learn choreography and i just really enjoyed it we were working with this woman carla something or other from this italian woman who's a dancer and um and jules gilsonanis who's uh, the director of the company and i just really loved it like i really loved the movement and the and the performance of it mm. And so I decided that the next year when we had to do an internship during the summer between second and third year, that I was going to concentrate on like a dance theatre company. Um, And so I did two internships, one with Dance Theatre of Ireland in Dunleary and one with Catapult Dance Company, who were doing a performance in the Cork Midsummer Festival in the Shandon Bells, in the Shandon Steeple. So that was really cool because I was production assistant and helping like make the show happen, but then also one of the performers. Um, and so it was like my first time ever getting like a small fee for, for a performance. And it just felt really good. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this with my life. And what was that? That was the end of, that was second year, was it, when you were doing the interns? Yeah, it was the end of second year. So it was uh, 2006. Okay. Yeah. So at that stage, you started to realize this is the area you wanted to more specialize in? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, from from first year already, I was thinking like, this is interesting for me. And also with the companies that we were learning about and reading about and watching, I just felt that this was more interesting to me than the kitchen sink drama, more like traditional Irish theater tended to be kind of talking heads a lot. Mm. And felt that there was a deeper and more interesting expression happening with more integration of the body. Um, and that, of course, changed in different ways over the years, but I just found that really exciting. 
So for somebody that <clears throat> would be would have had dancing, in, well, done a, done a bit of dancing in my day, a bit of break dancing when I was younger, but not so much anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's just superficial. I look at that uh, a dance and just see it for potentially what it is. When you look at and study choreography, what are the components, I guess, of, of it? Do you, do you look at, you know, anatomy, biology, physiology? What are the, the whole kind of parts of the jigsaw that, that would put it all together that you kind of need to know on those deeper levels? Well, um, in, yeah, all of those things. I mean, we, when I was studying, um, dance and choreography, we had not so much like, anatomy classes but we did have suggested reading mm. and also because I was doing a master's in dancing there was already an assumption of people having a, a base knowledge in mm. dance practice or um biology which I did study for my leaving here so okay. and I have a body um so yeah there's definitely or like there's a great book called experiential anatomy and so it's a, a lot about figuring out the body through movement um but we did spend a lot of time looking at like bones and ligaments and joints and muscles and how things connect to each other and you know what systems you're working with but not just the architecture of that but also like different systems like there's a lot of liquid systems in the body um like the the blood system and the craniosacral so the the fluid that's in your your around the brain and the cranium that goes down through the spinal cord or is around the spinal cord um and the different synovial fluids and the lymph system. And, and so we were looking a lot at these different things. Mm. Um, wow. One of the areas of, of contemporary dance that's very popular now is somatics or somatic practices, which is just about like really trying to engage with these body systems or like, uh, yeah, like paying attention really to, to the different body parts or the different biological systems. And how that's already a movement that's happening mm. in the body. And that it's, of course, you can't just put those down, you know, like you're carrying all of that around with you all the time. Mm. And that influences how we move and how we develop as movers, even from, from, um, from babies, like as children and as adults, you know, there's, there's so many more things in our bodies that are affecting us and how we move and how we are and how we feel than we think about in a day to day basis. But of course, when you're, concentrating when you're a dancer and that's what your study is because the thing you know you can't study dance without studying your own body sure. like if you're a painter you can somehow like use something else outside yourself but mm. with dance you don't get to get away with it you know mm. um and so we studied that of course in some ways but also uh in the way that if you're studying music you study um composition and so you know, like how you formulate notes in relation to each other um, or choices about like retrograde, you know, it's like, well, what you have a set of movements, what are you going to do with them? You know, what order do you put them in? And then like, what, what is that there? How useful is that? Or how interesting is that? Mm. Then um, also looking at history. So a lot of history of performance um and what has what the developments have been from older forms of dance and like ballet, of course it's a bit Eurocentric dance education, but um uh then moving into modern dance and then contemporary and then postmodern and the different stages and like what people the same way 
people study art, you know, yeah. like what, what has gone before and what do you need to know yeah. in order to situate yourself like in that world and in that industry. Mm. Doing all of that and then going, going, going to the masters, did you kind of have to then come up with some for the master's thesis, I guess there's a thesis with the master's, right? Where you'd have to come up with something original. Would you do some sort of critical analysis or research on something that's already been there or, or none of those? I'm not sure. Maybe um, I'm going the wrong direction. We had writings to do all the way along right. that were um, based on different choreographers or different pieces or our own um, kind of journaling investigating like our practices mm -hmm. but for the for our exam we basically had most of our marks were practical mm -hmm. so we had to just make pieces so i had to do a duet a solo a trio site specific so somewhere that was not in the theater but that uh, so where the the piece the dance piece was responding to the place and a group piece which was, there were six of us in my master's. Um, and so mostly, and we also had to write about those a little bit, but it was mostly the performance of that that was being marked. So, yeah. Interesting. So, so I'm just trying, again, trying to visualize and all of those, did you actually perform in them as well as put the, it together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I performed in all of those. It was the courses, contemporary dance performance. Right. And so it was all all geared towards making and doing, which of course there's no there's no um, necessity. I think if any of us had said like I'm going to find somebody else to be in my work, then that would have been fine too. But right. it didn't didn't come up. Okay, cool. So through the college, we're coming out of college now. We're we're moving along the timeline nicely. Um, where was your where was your next move? What was your 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 head or your your gut screaming at you coming out then to, to do next? Well, I didn't really know what the next thing was going to be. I started working. I had a, a job um, in the Wexford uh, Opera Festival, okay. which was cool. Um, it was like my first dance job out of college. Um, and that was very exciting. The Wexford Opera, Opera Festival was pretty amazing. You know, it's like Oxford. Uh, Wexford small but mm. the festival was massive and it was really cool to be in this it was the year that the new opera house had opened and so there was lots of cool parties with you know because they were celebrating the opening um, and I had a really good time and I was working with uh, five other dancers so meeting different people like in the scene outside Limerick and because um, Limerick was where I studied all right um uh, and that was really nice, but again, that finished. That was like a seven-week job, and I was a bit like lost and confused what I was supposed to do. How intense was that? Like seven weeks? Was it dancing every day, every night? Yes, it was every day. Like we had one day week off, um, which is the usual. Like it's a six-day week usually. Mm. Um, but uh, we were not every night because the singers don't can't perform every day. They do like three days on, one day off, I think. Um, and so that was that was our our work situation. Mm. No, it wasn't so intense actually. We had like a really nice um, performance section in that in the show that I was in, um, and lots of little small bits to do. But it wasn't like a marathon. It was pretty easy going. So it was really nice as a first job. 
Um, and then after that, I ended up going to Belfast and studying briefly. It was just three months, but there was a a pilot course, like um, an, an experiment, I suppose, to see if they were going to start um, a master's up there in Queen's University in Belfast for ensemble performer training. Um, and so I went and did three months um, there in Queen's with, there was 20 of us working together every day, like five days a week, um, making shows, basically. We did um, uh, made a children's theatre piece. Um, and then we did, we devised a show. Oh, um, scratch, basically, was it? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, with uh, this woman, Anna Newell, who is uh, from Scotland or the UK. And she was there working in Northern Ireland for a while. And then now she's in Dublin, I think. But she was the head of this course. And so she was kind of like our our director, our our um our leader but uh she was a really really excellent woman to work with hmm. uh, and i finished that course and continued to work with her a little bit afterwards so after that i was kind of bouncing around belfast limerick and cork which were the places that i had studied and so i had contacts and was working kind of freelance doing different bits of performance um and it was kind of coming into the the crash moment like this was 2010 mm-hmm. and uh, or sorry post crash um oh no but before that after Belfast I wasn't quite sure if I was going to stay in the kind of theater world or the dance world for what reasons um just because I they seemed very different to me at that time for some reason because I think I had been engaging with them separately. I was like studying theater and then I left that and I went over to this dance world and the context didn't seem to be the same. I thought there'd be more crossover of professionals working in Ireland or the -hmm. names of people that would come up and it just seemed very separate. And then in Belfast again, it was theater and it was kind of back to this world. Um, And so I kind of didn't know whether I wanted to be an actor or a dancer and they just seemed like like two separate things you know Mm. and I remember thinking that they were similar but like that they could be merged together more which is funny because now I just don't see them as different things at all like it's all Mm. you're always using your body and talking and performing and either telling a story or or sharing something Mm. so now I really just don't see that I mean again like I was talking about earlier with framing the frame and the history are somehow different the context is a little bit different historically but I think when you're making something, it doesn't, I don't need to be like, am I making this a dance piece or is it a piece of theater? Mm. It's like, it's the same somehow in many ways, not in every way, but it's definitely the same world, you know? Mm. Um, but I got a residency in this uh, dance company in Limerick called Dagda, which is now Dance Limerick, but there's an old church there. Um, and we had this space and I was uh, in residency there for a year with 15 other dancers and we just had access to this beautiful church space that was converted into a dance studio right. and we had time to make work and research and perform and that was really another kind of turning point for me because I just had time to be invested in making and developing as an artist and like doing the thing, you know. When you were doing that earlier, when you were talking about the, the, like the three weeks where you were doing the pilot 
Scots uh, for the Masters in in Belfast. How intense is is the pressure in those kind of three weeks, or even in in Dagda in Limerick, to actually produce something in a in a finite space of time? Do you do you have deadlines from that perspective? And you know, again, trying to draw c- comparisons to you know projects within within the workspace that I might be involved in. We're, we're to deadlines. You have to push it really hard. And does would your view of maybe being a perfectionist? I don't know if you consider yourself a perfectionist or not. But the challenge of is it good enough? How do you make those sort of decisions with with pieces? Yeah, I mean, definitely there are deadlines um, because there. If a performance date is set, uh, you just have to do it. You know, like it has to be ready mm. in in the form that it's supposed to be in right. at that time. And so for the, for the shows that we were doing in Belfast, we, we were performing at a, a children's theater festival and we had, um, yeah, dates in the theater in college. And so, yeah, you just, you have as many days as you have to make the thing. Mm. And that is of course really stressful because it's dependent on so many things and so many humans, you know, and they mm. all have their own days um, and then in Dagda, we had fewer deadlines. Um, the, the, our time was kind of mostly our own. We had weekly meetings and we had kind of sharings pretty, pretty frequently along the way. And then we had a festival at the end where you could show whatever you wanted of your work. Right. Um, but that was more like we were kind of a bunch of grown ups, you know, and it was like, this is an opportunity for you to, to do work the, the work that you want in the way that you see fit so the deadlines were more self-imposed then right um, but the the question about it being good enough is somehow a really complicated one because it's you know you're your own worst critic somehow mm. um i find that can be really crippling because instead of being like oh i'll just churn this out and like if my boss didn't like it, then they'd come back to me on it, whatever. Like, you don't have that. Yeah. So it can, be such a, it can be such a hindrance because if I start working on something and I don't think it's good enough, it's really hard to push through and keep keep making it, you know, and mm. keep doing it until you improve it. And so often it just gets thrown away mm. because you're like, oh, this isn't a good idea. This is stupid. I'm wasting my time. Mm. Um, but, uh, and it's like, you know, with, with art making, it's so subjective. Yeah. It's like good enough who and why and like, is it the general public who are supposed to like it, or is it only other artists who are supposed to like it, or is it yeah. supposed to make a political statement, or is it good enough for you, you know, one day and it's mm. not the next. So that stuff is complicated. Yeah, and like in the world of in IT, and we'd have this concept of being agile or flexible. So you would create, you would deliver something every couple of weeks and build upon it so it's, it's essentially like piloting or how how early would you demo something you're working on to get feedback and direction that could impact it or or do you hold it back till the end and say here here it is you know that's interesting to that's me awesome. i mean definitely the earlier you present a work in progress the better yeah because your feedback not only from the people who are watching it but you're getting feedback from your own performance you know like whether you're performing or just watching like you're having the feeling of like how it resides in the room how people are reacting to it and people see things that you don't anticipate 
and then you get a chance to watch it. But sometimes that's just really, it's too hard, you know, because stuff is so personal. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, it's really shit at the moment. I can't show it. I don't have anything yet. And like, I definitely have a problem with that where I'm like, I'll just show what I have when it's ready the day before I have to show it. So yeah. that's it. I'm shit with deadlines anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody has challenges with deadlines, but um, yeah. The work you typically do, and I'm kind of maybe jumping forward and jumping back, but that's okay. <clears throat> Where do you get your inspiration from? Is it, and is is the work always very personal? Is it is it can it be political? Where where does it come from? I think like it's somehow always a mix of these things. You know, like if if you're making something that's highly highly personal, um, that's always going to be somehow universal. The more particular something is, the more universal in a way. Um, I think when people try to make things general, they end up being just that, like it's general and it doesn't really work. It often doesn't work as well. But um, And the personal is always somehow political, you know. But um, I try not to make things that are too navel-gazy um, or that come across like that. Uh, different things inspire me at different times. So at the moment, I'm really interested in time as a concept, okay. um, which is fine that you're jumping around back to, back to the future and in the past. Um, it's just, it's something that we all experience in different ways and how much time is an influence in performance. You know, like you have to, there's so much about like making a performance. It's an hour long and like, it just doesn't always work, you know, like sometimes things should be 10 minutes or should be seven and a half hours. And that's also a constraint, I think, in film and in pop music. and Not, in, po of not in podcasts, though. They, they can go forever. Not yeah. Just can go on forever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, just how like time, you know, it's in, in every, in every uh, area, like in philosophy, in physics, in art, um, yeah, in everything. There's, we're dealing with time in in our own ways and and looking at it from different angles, and I just find it super interesting, like as a as a concept that permeates everything. Yeah, it's mind boggling, really. Uh, so when you're looking at time, and you know, you mentioned Back to the Future is one of my favorite films and stuff. But what what, what would you would you look from, or what are you looking from? I don't know if you can give the game away, but to 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 mash together. The performance, like, almost talked me through a little bit uh, the, of the process or that you, you follow for that. So uh, there's this film called Russian Ark, which is um, a film made in 2001, I think, and it's a, uh, it's one of these movies that's like a long shot, you know? It's like, I think it's the, I don't know if it's the longest still, but definitely when it was made, it was filmed in one long shot, one long take. Okay. And it's filmed in the the um, museum in St. Petersburg, the Hermitage. And it's a point of view. So the, the main character is like the camera, you know, so you're kind of like walking around with him. Mm -hmm. and, um, it just goes through all the different rooms in this museum and the chronology is all mixed up. It's different moments in history from Russian history. Okay. Um, and I was having a conversation with uh, with a musician who works in, in dance a lot and he was talking about how this film could be seen as as the choreography, basically. And uh, it just kind of set me thinking on on that and how I really would like to play with doing a performance like as a walking tour 
through a building where in each room you engage with different different moments or there's different performances all around the theme of time. Mm. Um, and so I was looking at this film as kind of some source material. I'm also reading a physics a book on, on time and like Einstein and Newton and all the, the various different bits. Um, and then also just like talking to people, like I just collect people's experiences of, of time and my own experience of performing on stage and how it really like speeds up or slows down time in such a particular way. Mm. So yeah, just basically collecting different sources and then mm. playing with them with other people. Question around meditation and, and being in the moment and it's kind of tied into obviously your talk, talk in the time line that you're, you're, you're looking at. Cause when you're in a flow state and you're in a moment, time can seem to go really, really slowly or could go really, really fast, both or, or one and the other, depending, I suppose, on, um, the situation. Is that something you're influenced by or have you looked into anything around kind of being in the now? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, uh, huge part of my practice because I work mostly with improvisation and so when I perform I mostly don't have my uh, material completely set um, or my words completely set and so <clears throat> I've been working with different practitioners over the years like uh, this guy called Andrew Marish who's a huge influence on me who's a Australian Scottish performer um, and with improvisation that it's basically a kind of performative meditation practice mm. where you have to be in the now because you're trying to respond every moment to what's happening mm -hmm. in the room in your body with the audience like with the sounds around you uh, how the light is like everything and so it's constant presence and it's always in the now and you can't get lost in the two seconds before where you think you made a bad choice and you can't get too focused on what you think is about to happen because you don't know mm. um and this i find really um exciting and totally frightening but really invigorating and yesterday evening i was watching performances here there was a festival called now exclamation mark um and it was for improvisation performances. Was it, was it they were all about. Was it not in German? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. Actually, no. In in Berlin, this is another problem of language that all of the performance stuff in dance is because it's so international. It's all in English. English so, and also this festival was started, I think, by some English people and some American people. Right. Um, the the scourge of English is everywhere. But uh, the performers were all doing like 20, 30 minute improvisations. And it's just so beautiful to watch, you know, because it's so fresh and it's this thing that's being created like in the moment. And of course, people have like 20, 30, 40 years of experience. So it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and do whatever. Yeah. It's crafted. It's like when you watch musicians uh, improvise, mm. you know, they know what they're doing. They know how to play the instrument that they're playing. They know how to respond to the other people in the room with like humor and humility and attention. And that is a kind of meditation, you know, just like really staying. Totally agree. Um, I think a couple of things just triggered there is that we were in Nashville a couple of weeks ago on a, on a holiday and my, my maid has been in New Orleans a few times as well. And it, you know, they, they, the guys just walk from bar to bar over there and just start jamming with the other jazz musicians and create 
in the moment type stuff. So it very much similar to, to what you're describing. But how much of it would be so in your improvised performance would it be an 80-20 where 80% of it is similar or the same every time and there could be a, a room for a 20% difference or, or, or like what do you have any kind of guidelines or could it be completely 50-50 or, or more just to try and get an idea? Yeah, it's always different. I mean, sometimes they do like a 10 or 12 minute improvised performance piece and it might be an improvisation festival. And so that's what everyone is doing, you know, like you're going out there and you're using your voice and your body and in your imagination to create whatever it is that you create. Um, and like the less, you know, the better, because then whatever is going to come up, like comes up and you might have a plan of like, okay, I want to start like this, or I want to talk about this or something. Mm. But then it's like with more mm, evening length performance or, or something, uh, I would work differently. So the, the piece I've just been performing in Ireland um, is a piece called Time Peace. And um, the beginning of it, the first half, I suppose, is improvised, but around the theme of time. And then the second half is a game of musical chairs with uh, members of the audience. Okay. Um, and so it's it's kind of all about Kate Bush and it's all about time. Um, and a lot of that is pretty set. So, okay. uh, and it's been different the different times I've performed it. Sometimes I've decided more clearly, like what I want to touch on. Um, and it actually doesn't work as well. I feel like it's a very dangerous space. Like you either have it really set mm. or really open. But this place of like, I want to talk about this and this and this, or do this, this and this. And then how I get there is like more open. Mm. It can, it can work really well to have these milestones. But it can also make something that has the potential to be very alive, very dead, because actually you're just thinking about the milestones and then the journeys get a bit left out. But yeah, I mean, as you say, sometimes it's it's more set than others and sometimes more open. The music backdrop, though, I'm trying to imagine it. I'm playing it through my head at the moment. So if you're kind of doing some of it to a like a, a soundtrack or you mentioned Kate Bush. I don't know if there's some Kate Bush music going on in the background. Does that in somewhat, in some way tie you to certain things at certain points during the music or, or does it keep it open? Uh, with this piece, I, I have a track that plays in the beginning and it's, a, it's basically a, a collaboration between me and the technician. So when I start talking, they bring the sound down okay. or else I tell them like after seven minutes fade the sound out and then I'll start talking you know so like I have a right. of, um, <clears throat> a shifting uh, decision about that but with the the Kate Bush tracks it's a game of musical chairs so the technician presses play and then they press stop and then down. so it's not so much in the background as it is in the foreground and then mm. when it stops that has an influence on us you know okay. um, yeah so these are definitely first for me types of questions I've had to ask somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm getting somewhere and probing, but I'm interested anyway. So that's the, and I hope that's coming across. But um, so it sounds like you're fearless in a way in, in what you do. Has that been? Is that fair to say? Uh, or, or over the last few years, kind of, and because I think the last time we were on your timeline, we funny that we're talking about timelines and talking about time, but we were probably at about 2010. So. 
you know, the last number of years as you craft and developed your, your art and you've lived in Berlin for most of that, I think, as you said, mm. has there been big, I can call them turning points. I don't like the maybe necessarily turning point, but kind of breakthrough moments for you to say, I've gone from here to here. Wow, I've made this big leap forward where kind of standout performances or pieces of work that you did that have helped build that confidence or was it always there? I don't know. Um, definitely not fearless. <laughs> um, I would like to, to, I would like for that to be the case, but I think there's always things in the way, um, especially like, as I say, when, when it's like your own work or you put your name to something, there's more fear that goes along with that. Mm. Um, I moved to Berlin in 2011 because I was, yeah, bouncing around the country and I just wanted to get more of an influence from what was happening in Europe mm. and in like in the dance scene elsewhere, basically. And so moved here and, and found this place, Ponderosa, which is like an hour outside Berlin in a place called Stoltenhagen. But then there's this kind of uh, dance organization called Ponderosa. And they have lots of training and workshops and stuff there during the summer. And um, I just met really amazing people there who were making really lo-fi, beautiful, strange, weirdo work. And I just thought, like, this is excellent, you know, like people are just doing it and it's like yeah. really you know and it, it just didn't have this like stifled feeling of like we're going to make a beautiful dance it's just like it's just you know really vibrant I suppose okay um and that was really inspiring but while I was there I met a guy who told me about an audition um and that was a big turning point for me because I got this job with an artist called Tino Segal who's um it works in the visual arts context and um we made this piece called uh or he made a piece um called this variation and that piece has been kind of touring for the last six years um and so i met a huge group of people through that because there was i think initially 40 of us in the piece uh and i was kind of new to it like i moved to berlin in 2011 and we did this piece in 2012 um, and so this became like really good friends and work colleagues and people who are really great and very inspiring. Mm. Um, but that was a big change for me because it meant that I had this kind of steady um, income from doing this job that's performance and, um, and like, yeah, in the, in the art context. Uh, and it's, it's been very sustaining or sustainable right. for me and also has just like helped me. Yeah. Like it helped me find my way a little bit in the, the dance world in Berlin. Mm. Um, so that was kind of a big thing. I don't know if I would have stayed here as long as I have, if I hadn't like got involved in that project at that time. Um, but just being, having the chance to like, come back to Ireland and show work a bit more um, at the Quarter Block Party Festival. That's been really nice. Mm -hmm. And um, in the Cork Midsummer, just like having moments of like performing at festivals and being able to show work. Like these are always little nuggets of kind of like, okay, cool. That's like a little bit more uh, being seen in public or having your practice somehow validated, you know? 
Sure. And I suppose the constant steady work that you have with the, the that work that you mentioned in, in Berlin gives you that a little bit more freedom to express yourself in the other ways, knowing that that's kind of almost stabilizing or, or constant. Yeah, I mean, it's not so constant, you know, it's like it's um, every year we've done it once, some years twice, but it's it just kind of comes up, you know, like the producer will call and be like, OK, we're going to Moscow okay. um, and that's great. But uh, and it's definitely been uh, a help, you know, in sustaining, but it's it's just as precarious as the rest of it, you know, like that's the the difficult part. I mean, I really love working in this way that's also very present because you're like great I have a job this week and then I don't know what's going to happen next week but um so with that there's all of the precarity about like stability and money and like where you're going and what you're doing but all of the the beauty also of, of just being like constantly traveling and meeting new people and constantly engaged in questions of of politics and things that you you know are important to people in the groups of people that we're meeting mm. so it's quite a back and forth between like crisis and celebration constantly mm. what have you learned most about yourself i guess over the last six years since you've left ireland has has there been questions answered for you in that period about you um i think a lot about like what i find important um, and that like I know that money is necessary and like I have to make enough money to survive but beyond that like it isn't it doesn't have a value other than what I can do with it you know mm. and so I think I see a lot of people getting really stressed about saving money and you know it's also really important to have enough there to provide for your family or for if things go wrong but um it just, it kind of gets perverted a lot into this thing that like has a, a value of its own somehow. Um, and I think that's really dangerous. So I just value being like in a community a lot and, and having, having experiences that are, are valuable, not because they, um, not because they have an intrinsic like monetary value, but because they're, beautiful or because they they make people like come together or they create like pleasure and interest and happiness and development um and so there's something about living in berlin that's a little bit like that you know people tend to work a little bit less here and socialize a little bit more or are focused on even if people work a lot they're working for things that they think are really important um socially and of course, there's like the whole gamut of people here, you know, there's still bankers and people yeah. who work in hospitals and, and that's kind of necessary. Mm. Um, but yeah, just, just about like how I think it's really important to think about like who you want to live with and who you want to spend your time with and who you want to die with. You know, it's like these are the important questions somehow of like uh, not just like what what your career means in terms of your personal name or your identity, who you want to be with. Identity is a fascinating area 
for, for me and uh, like I do coaching and a couple of podcasts that I've recorded but not actually released yet we talk in depth about values and and then your identity and beliefs and values and how it all mishes and mashes together interesting stuff for me I think a turning point my life was figuring out what those values were sounds like you have a good grasp on your values based on what you were saying there and how it ties into your purpose and stuff do you feel do you feel you're going in a, a direction that that is where you're meant to be going and uh, kind of this is the exis- extent existential stuff going on again here or do, do you use on intuition in, in how you make decisions does it, does that's it really really complicated one for me i feel like that's somehow the the crisis you know like there's moments where i'm like yeah my career is on track and i'm like developing and it's fine and i don't really need to think too far into the future but maybe a little bit more often i'm like what am I doing? What am I going to do next year? And there's, I think with all, with all of the artists around me, like, or the performers, whether you want to use the word artist or not, like it's actually not a word I love because it's, it somehow puts people up on this pedestal a little bit that it's as if it's a different kind of person, but I I don't think it is just a job Mm -hmm. Um, or a way that you want to identify yourself, which is, you know, not, not a big deal, I think. Yeah. But uh, definitely there's just this constant crisis going on where people are like, um, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It's so unstable. Like, what else can I do? And people do really diversify. Like, they do really do more, like, upskilling or um, other kinds of training. Like, people do a lot of different kinds of body work, like Feldenkrais and yoga and Alexander Technique mm. and Pilates. Yeah. Because it's so similar, you know, working with the body. Um, and for me, it's like I'm also doing my yoga teacher training next year. Okay. And I've started working as a technician a lot more, doing lighting design, right. teaching. And so, like, it feels like when there's a couple of strings to my bow, that mm-hmm. makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. But then I, once again, kind of have a, a concern around not specializing in something. And again, I think it's like there's so much rhetoric around becoming an expert and, you know, like developing so that you can be a consultant. And, you know, there's a road that I feel like is important to go along, you know, that I have to uh, get somewhere where my expertise is appreciated. Um, And that feels a little bit like a, a pressure that's always there. It's interesting, though, from listening to you. And again, I kind of listen as a coach and people talk between saying I think I think I think and I feel I feel I feel you were very much saying I feel I feel I feel a lot so you are kind of connected down in your gut which is a good thing because it's where you should probably be you weren't saying I think too much don't know if that's an observation you were aware of but um but I would do you do you have any do you do any kind of exercises to not physical exercises more mental ones but to try and map out your goals or where you want to get to or how you want to get there. I have found that very useful in the past and I kind of tend to write it on my to-do list. <laughs> something to do. Right. But uh, there is something in, um, in the kind of fear of the future that stops me from doing that as much as I should. Um, or not that there is a should about it. There isn't. But um, there's something that keeps happening where I 
it has it's happened three or four times now where I have six or seven months of work kind of booked mm -hmm. and then think that you know things will continue to get booked in the in the preceding or the in the following months and I get to the end of that six or seven months and it's there's still nothing right so I have all of this time filled and then there's this cliff edge and I'm like oh my god what am I gonna do and then usually it takes like five or six weeks and then again the next six months is full but I keep getting to this kind of like precipice of like the abyss you know mm. where it's oh no and it's always in those moments where I'm like I need to plan my future and then again it's kind of planned for me and I have all this work and it's great and I think that again in that time something's going to come for the following six months but it doesn't and it's like this has been repeating so I'm busy now until Christmas pretty much wow. that's a little bit longer mm. um but uh yeah it's I kind of go back and forth between being like okay, I'm going to go back to college in September and and then it's like, oh no, you actually, you're busy and you're doing things and it's fine. And then I kind of step away from that idea a little bit again. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's something that's a bit like ostrich head in the sand. You're saying this to somebody who has a permanent full-time job that would love that six-week break every nine, seven or eight months, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's always the grass is greener on the you know the other side but it's not a break ever you know that's the problem because it's like okay like this is when you have a few weeks but you you know sometimes things come up really um like i'm often offered jobs you know for the for tomorrow or for next week and yeah. you don't you don't get to be like great i'm going to take a holiday yeah, also, maybe I don't have enough savings at that point or you don't know if, you know, the work is going to come up. And then when you start working again, you're like, shit, I should have used that six weeks to go on holidays because now I don't have a holiday for the next 12 months. Mm. But um, but we're always working, you know. This is the problem. One of the problems for me is that, like, I don't just get to be like, oh, I'm going to make a nice piece of art. It's like you're the producer, you're the director, you're the performer, you're the, the secretary, the administrator, the funding, you know, like it's like a lot of angles. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I, I some people are like, oh, God, I'm sick of sitting in front of my computer. And I'm like, so am I, but yeah. I have to do it without getting paid for it, you know, yeah, like yeah. the administrator takes up so much of the time and so those six weeks get uh get filled with a lot of work somehow yeah no I, I get that and it's i guess the battle between the left and the right brain going on there and it's just the analytical and you know planning and putting goals out and stuff that yeah maybe it's a good thing to to think about you mentioned success though as well and i'm always fascinated on how people define success or measure success what is yeah, it me too. What is it for you? I also find it really interesting, and I ask people about that a lot, about what their idea of success is. And I think it is, I mean, there's both like the personal view of it and then the unavoidable view that other people are going to have. And I think it's very interesting in terms of um, like people's careers, like other performers I know. Uh, when People often talk to each other a lot about work, of course. And... Um, sometimes I find you know if you're speaking to somebody about what's happening they're like oh my god like your career is going great you know you're so successful like your name is about the place and they have a very different view of of you of like or someone has a very different view of me than I have of myself mm -hmm. um and just as equally I could be talking to someone who 
I who I know is more established and I think that we know some people in common and they have no idea who I am or have never heard me like you know mm. um and so there's an exterior level of success that's about you know how your career is going or whether you're being programmed somewhere or not whether you're getting funding and those things are very practical and easy to see you know it's like what are the the results from the jury this year yeah um, and that stuff, as I said, when I was talking about money, is like, that's necessary. Like, it's unavoidable that you have to have certain levels of success on that ladder to be doing your job at all, somehow, for it to be considered a job. Um, but the success that I think is maybe a bit more important or, um, yeah, is just the, the self self-equated success of are you are you satisfied like am i am i interested in what i'm doing do i wake up in the morning wanting to go to work um do i love the people that i'm working with and like does it feel like it's the place that i need to be and that's something that i really have like even even when there's these moments of crisis Mm. i feel like I'm really in the right place. Like there's just so much pleasure and so much interest and so much desire to continue doing this thing that it just feels like, yeah, like I, I'm doing it. Like this is, and even if it's like a hard slog and if it's a bad week or like, it just, it still feels like worthwhile as, as a, as a thing to be doing. I remember a friend of mine was saying, God, it's weird, you know, you just kind of decided you were going to become a dancer and now you are one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was just that easy. Do you feel successful if, you know, you get a terrible review, but you liked the piece? You know, it's like that stuff is complicated. Like there's always the, the back and forth. Important to be able to take feedback as well and turn it into a positive and, you know, make something out of it if, if it isn't the most positive. So I guess that's a, a learning. Do you have you found yourself get better at taking feedback over time? Yeah. Yeah. I think um well actually I'm really particular about feedback because I I'm really interested in it as a as a process. And I love facilitating like feedback sessions because I think there are ways in which you can do it that's more productive. And so, again, it's a little bit like the training thing, you know, it's like, since I'm really interested in this thing, I feel like if people do it badly, it can just be really damaging. So if someone gives me good or bad feedback, but in a shit way, then Mm. I'm going to feel like it's just, it's not so conducive or it's not so productive. Um, But like with, with, um, there's this Liz Lerman feedback format that's about trying to get trying to enable people to make their best work basically mm-hmm. um and so the person who's who's made the thing is the person who kind of gets to ask the first question right because they like you know as an artist what it is that you're interested in making or what it is that you're interested in presenting or for what you kind of want people to to notice um and so if you get to ask that first and then people get to respond then you're learning more about your piece than their opinions yeah. And after feedback, you're learning more about the person who's giving you the feedback than about your work, you know. And so I think like there's ways to have conversations about about things or ways to give feedback that are more conducive. 
have a structured mechanism for providing the feedback rather than just haphazardly slating it or going to town on a, in a positive perspective, maybe. Yeah, and like giving reasons for things, you know, like I can, I see things that I dislike all the time. And of course I could say, I hate that. That was terrible. There's nothing interesting in that. But that's not useful for anybody. Mm. You know, it's more, much more useful if I ask questions like, why did you decide to do that? Or like, did you consider this? And, you know, yeah, there's, yeah, there's better ways. Maybe just a couple more to, uh, to wrap up. Who are your major influences? in the world of, of dance now or, or who, who are the ones that, you know, inspire you most? And for a lot of people probably listening, they may or may not know, know these names, but that's okay. Get it out there. Mm, sure. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know, like about, um, influences just coming from the dance world. I feel like yeah, of course, the people, yeah, the people that I, that I studied with are of course, huge influences. So, like Mary Noonan, who started the, the MA out in, in UL, was a huge influence on me. Um, she's just really uh, offered a space for me to ask questions and to start investigating that world and is a huge support. This guy, Andrew Marsh, that I um, mentioned before, and his wife, Rosalind Crisp, they're just really excellent performers and uh they just do really brilliant workshops and just really like open up your mind so much to possibilities and performance. So they were great. Um, there's a company called Hotel Performa and they did a show a couple of years ago in the opera house um, called Tomorrow in a Year. And it was uh, an electro opera when, and the knife did uh, the, do you know this Swedish band, the knife? Mm. They're kind of electro duo. Okay. And they did the libretto for the piece. And it's just one of the coolest pieces I've ever seen. Like, it was just really amazing. But, um, yeah, a lot of like music, musicians and, um, like different, like, yeah, filmmakers and musicians, I think can just have a really amazing, um, visual language a lot that I find really inspiring. Another friend of mine who I was in college with, Rory Donovan. We've been working together for 10 years. And so we kind of bounce off each other a lot and, and work together and share ideas. And so he's kind of a, a big inspiration. Um, and, uh, my housemate, Lindsay Buchanan. <laughs> um, she's great. She's but, listening uh, in the background there, is she? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it changes so frequently that I, mm. I could never really say like this artist's work is, great but um it, it's always a bit of flash in the pan i think with um with artists mm. they kind of like pop up and then disappear again but writers i think like ideas somehow like this woman rebecca solnit is a really gorgeous writer and her work is very different difficult to classify she kind of does this like travel writing uh, cultural history, personal, poetic, like it's, and it's really super easy to read as well. Mm. Um, but a lot of her ideas, I think it's just about the, like, I love the banality of life mixed with the, like the absolute magic of it, you know, like she's really great at kind of shining these mm. like lights on the normalness of, of human interaction 
and poetry is a huge influence on me as well. Like people like Robert Frost and, um, yeah, and Sylvia Plath. And just, again, just these like noticing beautiful things in everyday life. And Kate Bush, of course, more than anything. Don't, don't forget poor Kate. Um, yeah. If somebody's listening to this, and hopefully there's a lot of people listening to it, but they wanted to get a taste or an introduction into dance or, or, or something that, you know, they may not have experienced before. Is there any show or performance or YouTube clip that somebody could look at to, to get a flavor for not, and we'll, we'll plug you at the end, but just in general. Um, I think the, the challenge is that with dance, it's so much about being in the room. You know, right. okay. uh, dance gets put in with uh, visual art a lot, like with film or theater, um, because they seem similar in some ways. But actually, I think it's much more like music and poetry. And that in it's like music in the way that you don't have to get it, like there's nothing to get. You just listen to music and you like it or you don't. and It makes you feel a certain way or it doesn't or whatever. And I think dance is, is more like that. Um, and, and with, it's similar with poetry. It's like, it's a condensed, something is kind of condensed a little bit and people have different experiences when they, when they read it or watch it. But it's about kind of being in the room with it. Like dance, dance is terrible. Um, like filmed, you know, like it's fine sometimes when you just have to look at it that way to get a sense of it, but like it's never good somehow, mm. um, to try and watch a piece online. Um, so the thing that I think is just important is just go to stuff because the idea, I mean, there's not a huge dance audience in Cork somehow. There's like a really good music scene and theater scene and sport scene and comedy scene. But, um, there's, um, there's more and more happening now up in the Firkin Crane. Um, with Rinoch is, Rinoch Niniel is programming there and she's doing a really good job. Um, but just to take a chance and to go to see something. Um, with a bit of an open mind about it because it just is so far away from the kind of hip hop breakdance stuff that you see on television, which is really cool, but it's just not the same thing. Like circus is great and it's about like virtuosic performance and skills. That's like, wow, look, someone can do that thing. It's really cool. And I love that, but it's a hundred miles away from this thing that's just about like experiencing something that can be like very small and also like really poignant and really interesting and or strange, but that just makes you think in a slightly different way or makes you feel something that you didn't expect to feel. And I think those moments are really valuable when you experience something that you didn't expect to. And so just going to see something live, basically. Will the world of virtual reality have an impact on on that with your headsets on and you see things in that 3D world? Um, it may make it a bit more tangible, potentially. Yeah, yeah, and I think like there's there's a lot of crossover at the moment between dance and technology, so there'll probably be more and more use of um, of virtual reality stuff, like in live performance, but. There's just definitely no replacement for being in the room with bodies moving, you know, because we have that response system where like you see things, you see someone yawn and you yawn and you see bodies moving and you have like an empathy with what's going on, you know, whether it's beautiful or strange or boring or provocative, 
And I think all of those things are important somehow. So last question, uh, and it's more probably around advice. If, if you've got some advice in the past, um, but maybe for folks that might be listening that want to take a, a career that maybe, I think you mentioned Robert Frost. He, he had the poem, the two roads diverge in the yellow wood and take the one left travel by. I, I'm surprised I brought that in nicely there. Didn't I? <laughs> uh, as if, as if we planned that, but, uh, but, but if you, you know, you might have took the one less travel by, what tips or advice would you give to somebody thinking around, um, a decision like that, that they may not, they're not going with the crowd. They might be going in a different direction. Uh, you know, I suppose things you would take away from having done it that you're proud of. It is the 1% better podcast after all. So we have to kind of give a few, there's lots of good nuggets during this, but maybe just to wrap up on, um, around that, is there anything coming into mind advice maybe around that? Yeah, just to, to, follow your pleasure and follow your interest which doesn't necessarily mean you have to like change everything in one go but um that like it's our own responsibility to be interested in things so like I can watch a show and be like this is crap because it's not what I would make or but you can look for what you're interested in in something and you can do that with anything. Like if you're playing with children, you can be like, oh, this is fun for me because something, something like I like numbers or like, you know, like there's, there's always something that's, there's always some area of pleasure or interest that you can follow. And if there isn't, then do something else, you know, like there's so many things to do and to experience out there in the world. And I think we can get really exhausted really easily from just like working really hard and just wanting to like sit down in the evening and do nothing else. And that's totally valid some of the time, mm. but like to also just generate like some, something else, you know, like when people say, when people start exercising more, you get more energy, but that's true also of your imagination. Mm -hmm. Like if you start to stretch it, like it's a muscle and you just can find like interest and beauty in things that you didn't expect to. And, um, it's fine to want to like fit in and do the same things as everybody else, but there's also just so much excitement and pleasure to be found in doing things that you didn't expect to do, like going and joining a choir <laughs> or just like seeing, trying to find your interest in something that you didn't think you were interested in, you know? It's always, it's always about stepping out of your comfort zone into the uncomfortable zone. Because it's going to be uncomfortable for the start, no matter what that might be, like the fear of public speaking or, you know, anything. So it's really when you step into that, you're obviously in an uncomfortable place. That's okay, right? Yeah. And also, like, the pleasure of uh, improving at something. So when you're like, oh, this is really hard at the beginning, and then noticing that you're more comfortable or noticing that you get better at it is a huge thing, you know, and we kind of forget that we just had to do that so much, like when we were younger, because you just had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people are doing a lot of learning, like as they get older now, but yeah, just that there's something very exciting in that, like, the, you know, you get to be really self-congratulatory at like, wow, like I'm learning something new about that thing, or like I'm finding a lot more interest in whatever, it, whatever it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Just do it. Don't over, don't overthink it. Get into your your into your gut and then go with it. Um, 
we'll wrap it up because it's t- nine fifty here, so it's ten fifty there. It's definitely your bedtime at this stage, Kathy. Sorry for keeping you up so late. So, how can people, you know, get in touch with you, uh, learn a bit more about you if they were interested in doing so? Um, well, I haven't um, finished my website at the moment, so the easiest place to find me is um, about me. It's um, a kind of a web um, platform. So it's about me forward slash Kathy Walsh. Okay. Um, and that just links to my, my Facebook and Twitter and email and Vimeo, I think. Okay. I have some things on the internet, but as I say, I think it's not so um, wonderfully represent, representative to have um, little clips of shows online. But um, the next thing that I'm going to be doing is um, the show in the Everyman. Uh, Dancing at Lunasa in July. I'm the choreographer for that, so I'm really excited to to be working in my home city on the space between dance and theatre. How many how many uh, how many nights is that going to run for? Do you know? Ooh, I don't know. It starts on the fourth. There's some previews. I think the second and third of August, um, and proper opening night is on the fourth, and then it runs for a couple of weeks after that. Okay, excellent. So I think until the twenty eighth, maybe. Of, yeah. of July. Oh no, August. August. Sorry, August. you said August there. Okay, yeah. perfect. I'm working. I'm working in there in July, and then it'll be on in August. Okay, yeah. cool, excellent. Uh, when I put the show notes up, I will um, put your links up as well, uh, just in case anyone um, couldn't decipher it over our Skype call. I'm hoping the quality is good, but uh, you certainly sounded fine. I can't hear myself too clearly, but uh, I'm sure I'll be able to manipulate that uh, channel developing your skills exactly so i'm still <laughs> learning myself a lot so kathy thanks so much i'm glad we got to do this uh, after five or so or four months of uh of trying got there in the yeah. end and, uh, lovely keep in touch take care yep we'll talk Bye. to you soon good night Hey folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll, we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.